welcome to the Scottish Folk Podcast. I am your host Eileen Budd and this week's episode is inspired by the work that I've been doing with Glen Esk Folk Museum on their oral history project, Voices of the Glen, because it's really got me thinking about the different stories that we tell in Scotland, the ones that we learn and the ones that we hear and the ones that we share, because there are some stories that we tell that we've been telling in Scotland since the Bronze Age. And I wonder what it is about those stories, the ideas in those stories or the messages that have made them endure for such a long time. The collection of stories that I'm sharing with you today have, for whatever reason, (laughs) endured with me. And I hope you enjoy them. Of all the different origin stories there are in Scottish folklore, this is one that was taught to me at a very early age that has stuck with me. I think because of its idea that we come from the natural world, that we didn't just land here, that we are a part of it and came from it like a leaf comes from a tree. I hope you enjoy it. But we came from a different tree, and her branches were high, and her branches were low, and her roots were woven and winding through the earth, slipping through moss and crumbling stone. And she shook her body in time to the pulse of the shoreline waves, and the wind caught her seeds in a gasp and blew them through the air, and her seeds flew far and her seeds flew wide. Before her seeds flew out of her sight, our tree spoke, and it was the sound of breeze escaping leaves and creaking wood, playful bird song and buzzing insect wings, and the rushing river water and the soft crushing of deep snow under a foot. And the sound was loud and the sound was a whisper. Can yourself and never settle. I like this story because it reminds me of the tradition of every direction of the wind having a colour in nature. And Father Allen, who collected a lot of Scottish Gaelic stories in the 1800s, he even mentions, you know, black winds and red winds depending on if they were coming from the east or the west or the south or the north and the colours mentioned in this story I'm about to tell you of the sky kind of remind me of that so I hope you enjoy this one There are two mountains on either side of Loch Ness and each one is a giant and they are brothers, sons of Beira, mother of the gods. And these sons of hers, they love fighting each other. And one is the giant of day, and one is the giant of night. And at dawn, the giant of day flings a boulder at his brother, knocking him out until evening. And as his boulder flies through the sky, it turns everything white and bright. And in the evening, his brother, the giant of the night, gets up and flings a boulder back at his brother. And as the boulder flies through the air, it turns everything black 
and dark. And the giant of the day has golden armlets and bracelets, and when he flings his boulder, these shine and light up the sky with golden hues. And the giant of the night has bronze armlets and bracelets, and when he flings his boulder, the sky is ablaze in bronze light. And this is the story of night and day. I like this next story not just because it's a Finn McCool story, but also because it has dogs in it. And I'm interested in how dogs feature in Scottish folk tradition and folklore, because they seem to have this place in society and communities which is quite important. Not as important as a human being, but certainly more important than any other animal. And that's quite interesting to me. It's similar in other cultures as well. For example, Greenlandic folklore have a lot of stories where the dogs are very, very special, but they're not quite as special as human beings. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoy this story. It's about dogs. Ogres had eaten the king and queen of Dublin's children, and now the queen was pregnant again. She was terrified that ogres would eat this baby too, so Fingal, Finn McCool of Scotland, had been called for. He arrived with his auntie, who had been transformed into a dog and was also pregnant. And when the queen had her baby, Fingal's auntie had her puppies. And that night, the roof of the building they were staying in was ripped off, and a great big ogre arm came down to try and grab the baby and the puppies. Fingal grabbed the atom and pulled it right out of its socket. Another arm came down and this time it grabbed the baby and the puppies, Bran and Shkaurang. Fingal made after the one-armed ogre and when he got to its lair, he saw Bran and Shkaurang, the puppies, ripping the guts out of the ogre. Fingal grabbed the puppies and the baby and made straight back for the king and queen of Dublin. And from then on, Bran and Shkaurang were his favourite hunting dogs. One of my favourite types of story from Scottish storytelling tradition and Scottish oral storytelling tradition are the It Could Have Happened stories. And these stories change depending on who's telling them, who the audience is, and whatever's going on politically sometimes. And this is one that I heard a long, long time ago, and it's stuck with me, and I hope you enjoy it. There was a man who had travelled and worked all over Scotland, but you know, he had nothing to show for it. He didn't have a wife or a family, and he'd never settled down, so he didn't have any land or he didn't have any house, nothing. And he was kind of lamenting about this to himself, when suddenly he saw in a field a nice big hare nibbling away on the grass. Now I'll make my fortune, the man said, because I'll kill that hare and I'll take it to a butcher and the butcher will give me a good money for it. And with that money I'm going to buy a couple of pigs and I'm going to start a piggery. And then, my piggery will be so successful, I'll find a wife easily, she'll be beautiful as well, and we'll have lots of sons, and they will not be lazy, because I will make sure that they get up every morning, and I will clap my hands right next to the ears, and I'll say, get up you lazy boys, and he clapped his hands, and he saw the hair run off, and he said to himself, 
Oh, well, it could have happened. I like this story because it touches on so many different things to do with folk history, folk traditions and folk beliefs, particularly folk beliefs around the good folk and the fairies. You can kind of see an idea about nature spirits and spirit of the land in it as well. And I hope you enjoy it. Mary was the only crofter left in Allisdale, which had been cleared a long time before. I mean, she didn't mind being on her own because she had her crop, and there was also the wild animals, which she loved and always cared for, even the foxes that gave her cows so much trouble. Every day she would leave out a jug of milk and a bowl of oatmeal for the fairies, and twice a year the shepherd from Largo would come with provisions for her to get her through the hardest months of the year, and this was particularly important in winter. But one winter there was a huge storm and the roads were impassable and the shepherd could not get to her house with the provisions. Finally, there was a clear break in the snowstorm and he went to her. It had been weeks. He was sure she was dead. He got to where her house was and he could only just see the chimney poking up from the snow. And then he couldn't believe it when he saw a fox leap out of the chimney and run across the snow. He was sure she was a goner. He jumped off his horse and he ran over and he climbed down the chimney too. And there she was, sitting by the fire, quite happy. And she told him that every day the fox had been bringing her a rabbit and that she'd been just fine. And then the shepherd thought about that fox. It hadn't left any footprints in the snow. And then he thought about that jug of milk she would leave. And he wondered... There are a few different versions of this story. This is the one that I know. I have heard other versions where instead of Callum, it's a laird, and instead of a horse, it's a servant. So, enjoy. It was getting late and dark, and so Callum decided that he would ride past Forfar Loch in order to get home a wee bit quicker. And he was going past quite happily when suddenly he heard the screams of a woman coming from the centre of the loch. He looked and he saw a woman splashing and struggling. He leapt off his horse and started to wade into the water. And then, just as he became close enough to reach her, her face seemed to change. Where she'd been shouting for help before, her face twisted into a menacing grin. Her teeth suddenly seemed to become long and pointy and sharp, and her eyes seemed to disappear into these two huge sunken holes, and her arms came out from the water and reached towards him. They were very long arms, and her nails were very sharp, but curly somehow. The tongue unfurled from her sharp-toothed mouth, hungry. Callum realised that she was hungry for him. He started to wade as fast as he could back out of the water, but she was behind him every step, every splash, and he could feel the waves that she was making break on his back. He just got to the shore and leapt to grab the reins of his horse. He felt something tug on his foot, and his horse took fright and ran, dragging Callum with it. 
When they got to a place where the horse stopped, Callum looked back across the loch and he saw a bubbling on the surface and something disappear back under. A story from the 17th century for you now about seeing something magical in nature. I saw a wonder. Early one morning looking for sheep, I saw a girl with flowing hair sitting on a sea rock alone, with blue mantle for clothes among the creeping shoreline shellfish. But soon there was a change. Startled, she raised her head. She looked at me over her shoulder, and alas, the thing, the thing that happened. She took the shape of the blunt-headed monster swims in the sea like a seagull that splits the wave on each side of her through the Kyle of Mull, through the Kyle of Isla, through the Kyle of Orency of McPhee. And then she went veering to the brindled island of the sand, to the wide land of the generous men and the great rock unmoved by the tempest. This is a sailor story and it's passed on through oral tradition and there is an Irish version of it as well. And the Irish version of it is very light and jumpy and this version or Scottish version is a wee bit more, I don't know, sedate. I hope you like it. When the moon is full and its path on the sea is silver and you know that the sea is silver, with all the fish of all the seas coming to dance on the shores of Long Island. And one night a lad from town took his fiddle down to the sea. It was still as a loch, tiny waves chuckling to themselves in the moonlight, and the air dancing for joy. The lad saw the sea boiling as the fish came in procession, led by whales and porpoises, and then the smaller fish in their silvery shoals. The lad started to play a Strathspey on his fiddle, and the fish rose on their tail fins and began to dance, lit by moonbeams. And he played and he played, and as he played, his wonderful music joined the music of the waves, and the music of the leaves in the wind, and the wind in the rigging, and the burns dancing down into the sea, and the crackling of frost at dawn. This is a piece that I wrote based on the Scottish folk belief that there is no veil between us and the other world, and that the two exist side by side all the time. And I wrote it to go with some beautiful images taken by the photographer Yannicka Honey, and you can find the whole thing on my Instagram page. Now, there's a phrase that's rooted in Scottish culture about the passing on of traditions, memories, songs, stories, and it was coined by the collector of traditions, Hamish Henderson. He said, Be born on the carrying stream. Macker, you man sing them. Tomorrow's songs will flow free again, and new voices be born on the carrying stream. You are the carrying stream. You're the one that brings the past to the present and the present into the future. You don't need a flower crown or a flowing linen outfit or a full moon or anything like that to connect you to your ancestors. 
Our experiences, our stories and languages, they're all in us, in our landscape, places familiar to us. Memories are triggered by seasons and smells and music, and we have the power to tune into these whenever we like. It's personal. It's specific to you and your community and your family. You are the river. You are the river. You are the carrying stream, bringing past and present into the future. Winding through the landscapes, history, stories, communities, people you love, they change your course and add to your sparkle. You carry them with you. They remain, giving harmonies to your voice, echoing and ringing with each of your twists and turns. Feel them bubble from your depths. Find them hidden in the silt or shining through your ever-moving soul like bright pebbles. Bring them to your surface whenever you choose and should you choose. Weave them into the place you are, your home, a park, forest or front step, the last place you were together, the places you love to be. Draw out the memories and knowledge you carry. Remember them in taste, smells, music. And whether you are a raging torrent pounding the ground or slow sips of silver murmuring round, you are the river that carries them. You have been listening to the Scottish Folk Podcast. I really hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode. And if you did, please share it. You can also come and find me on Instagram. I am at Eileen Budd. You can buy me a coffee. The link is in my Instagram profile. And all the proceeds from that go to the work that I do at schools and museums with the Travelling Folk Museum, bringing Scottish folk stories and Scottish folk history all over Scotland. Special thanks this week to Marianne, Ellie, Sarah, David, Meredith, at Mahuvit, John and Matt. Thank you so much for supporting my work. It really means the world to me. And that's it for this week. Hey, Brian. <laughs>